Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hey, welcome to the episode. Today we're talking to Sam Fraser, an Australian artist who offers a lot of valuable insight for artists to improve their salesmanship. Sam spent a number of years working in retail and has a goldmine of information to offer in do's and don'ts of selling your art. We talk about the art of soft skills, what they are, and how artists need to learn them and practice them like any other skill. We discuss the fine points of good communication and negotiating a fair price, both with private clients for commissions as well as bigger corporate clients. How artists can more effectively interact with clients to make the experience enjoyable for everyone and ensure repeat business. We also talk about the importance of a dialogue between artists that live in advanced Western countries with high standards of living and artists who live in developing countries or those with lower standards of living. There's a whole lot more, so without any more delay, here's the interview. We, uh, we had an arm wrestling match, me and Moose, for who was going to take control of the questions this week. And Moose won. Mm-hmm. I think that it's only fair yeah. that that Moose do the proper introduction as as well. All right, Sam. Thank you very much for joining us on the uh, Art Condition Holiday Special, the first ever. Um, so I know you, and Joby knows you a little bit. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the uh, rest of the fine people that we have joining us today? I'm Samuel, Sam J. Fraser, as formerly known on Twitch. I'm dressed <laughs> in a suit because of reasons. I'm an artist, a digital artist and also a projection artist here in Melbourne, Australia. Um, what is there to know about me? Not much. I'm a bit of a, just a regular old working artist and I do a bunch of other work as well, not involved with art and some other involved in art. But uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of like safe spaces and community spaces that are really accepting of a lot of different types of people with different types of accessibility. Um, and yeah, I just like to have a good time. That's pretty much it. That is me in a nutshell, I reckon. What work did you do prior to becoming an artist? That's see, I did. So, <clears throat> and this is probably why we're like leading into this conversation is I've worked in retail, like high end retail for about, 12 or so years and also customer service and as well as that i've done about five or six years in youth work and some work in disability support as well so a lot a lot of work focused around talking to people you know having communications with people clients professional non-professional uh Probably, yeah, I think I think it was probably about five or six years ago when I decided to 
do art in some sort of career aspect. I think I've already already always done art, as most artists will probably say, but never really cared for it in terms of like a professional kind of career until I was just overworking in all of those other jobs, or especially the retail job. But uh, yeah, I think those are the main ones. A lot of customer service, a lot of retail, a lot of generic jobs like you would find yourself coming out of high school or young education, went to university, didn't like it, tried to learn more art, didn't like it, <coughs> stayed in those jobs, and then eventually was like, oh, well, let's do this. Why not? <laughs> so why not was the reason why you switched into an art career? Well, actually... My mother was the reason I switched into the art, an art career, actually, because she was, I was living with her at the time. I'd like gone and moved back with her for a few months as I was like in between houses. And she'd always been very instilled in my brain, have a backup, you know, make sure you're getting a good solid income, make sure you've got some sort of, you know, you're really good at this job. You may not like it. And this is high end retail and I, I sell suits which is why I have a suit. Uh, but I think once she'd live with me for a little bit, she'd notice I would sit down and draw a lot and just like draw a lot and spend a lot of time on art. And she'd see how it would make me kind of feel and what I'd talk about when she was around a bit more. And I think I was, I was lining up <clears throat> because I've always been a computer nerd as well. I was lining up to do a networking um education so i was doing like cisco uh stuff like i'm sure a lot of other people know about it. it's just like ne nerdy networking stuff where you can get into a job and you get paid a pretty good amount of money and you learn some interesting things and it's a lot about problem solving which is something that i find really satisfying and we were literally sitting there on the couch as we we're like going through the different sorts of education i'd need to get a different sort of job She's just like, why don't you just, why don't you just try art for a bit? Why don't you just see how it goes? Like, you work so hard at it. Like, if you're gonna keep working hard at it, something's gonna stick, I guess, and you'll find your way. You'll find your footing, and you know, you've got support. I was very lucky to have a lot of, you know, support. Not a lot, but um, definitely a lot of like, uh, family support. Not necessarily monetarily, but just guidance. Um, and I took that. Having my mum say that to me, it's like someone who's so get a good income, be stable. And like my other sister, my, I have two siblings and they're very much like that. Having her say that really kind of had a big impact on me going, all right, I could probably do this. Um, and that made a pretty big difference, I think. But you weren't uh, starting totally fresh with art because one you did have the art experience from just a lifetime of drawing but you also now had experience from your industry experience as a in the sales industry so uh yeah. and that was part of why uh, we wanted to get you on here because you have a extensive background in something that a lot of mm -hmm. artists are totally uh, i vacant on i guess this would be the best word <laughs> that's, uh, that's where, the kind word <laughs> they're 
they're uh, starting from scratch trying to figure out the hard stuff that you now yeah. have a, a wealth of information on. Yeah. So, and I think that like that gave me a big advantage. Like I felt like since the start that has given me a really big advantage. Like my art skill may be here, but because of my sales pitch, I can fudge it up to here. And I had actually one of my first ever commissions was I was working in a retail store across the road from this coffee shop uh, and I'd sit there for hours and do nothing because no one would ever come into this store. It was one of those boutique stores where you get two customers a day and you sell them thousands of dollars because they have way too much. Um, and I was on my break on the co- at the coffee shop and one of the residents who lived near there, we'd become friends. And he saw me drawing on my pencil and paper lots. And he's like, oh, could, could I get you to, like, I'm a part of this, um, this pirate club. Could I give you some portraits and you can turn me into a pirate? I, like, want this really, like, regal pirate yeah, kind of uh, portrait. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I charged him way too little, <laughs> like, way too little. But I was pretty hyped. I was like, yeah, okay, this is my first. First of all, and he ended up getting like three or four in the end. Um, and he said to me, he looked at it and he was like, whoa, this is awesome. And I like, I've always been very objective. And whilst not, not being too harsh on myself, but being like, hey, I know where my skills are at. This is not that awesome. But he said, you got to understand like people who aren't artists see this and think it's magic, like literally think it's magic. And that stuck with me. And I was like, it's true. Like I've also put a lot of hours into this in my past. And may I, I might not have put in a lot of professional hours and full time into study and stuff like that at that point. And I was watching a lot of John Derek Murphy on Twitch and learning a lot through him. Uh, yeah. That's how Moose and I met, maybe. I think it is, isn't it? Kind of. Yeah, here or there. Um, but, yeah, put, put in, I hadn't put in that much hours. But, yeah, he was really, he was genuinely, like, impressed by it and really happy with it. And he went and bought another one. And that statement of him saying, like, it's like magic really stuck with me. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, I go and sell these really high-end suits and they cost a lot of money, but there's also a there's also a customer base for these like lower end suits which fulfill their purposes. And if I'm making this lower end product, it's still a product that can be sold and delivered to a customer. Um it might be as as of lesser price at the moment, but like when I get higher skilled, I'll bump up the prices and sell them for like that higher skill pay and that really kept me going being like oh yeah i can just i can just make money as i do this as i get better like the clientele will change but you know i will evolve and my payslip for it will evolve too and that that kept me like really motivated and that's what really stuck with me like oh so as long as i'm pitching this product or this service at this point and this price range to this customer, then I just change that pitch as my skills change. And that really, really helps, I think. Right. So you have the 
regardless of what product you're making, you have the ability to sell it. Yes, because absolutely. You, um, when we were uh, talking about having this episode, you had mentioned the word soft skills, and I went to Google because I, I don't know what soft skills are. And, <laughs> I just pretended uh, like I knew what that was. I had mm. assumed it was uh, just uh, uh, communication in emails. That's what I thought, and that's part of it. But mm. um, so the ones I found were like communication with clients, networking with your peers, which surprised me a little bit, but that makes sense. Time management, also surprising, but makes sense. Conflict resolution, and also hard selling and upselling. Which mm-hmm. of those do you think are like the most important for uh, artists to learn? Like if you had to prioritize them. Um, I think communication with your client is probably number one. Number two would be networking with your peers for sure. Uh, because in this industry, you know, we, we tend to look out for each other and you get work through other peers as well who can't kind of plead, complete it themselves. And that's kind of how you get your, your stuff out there. I mean, if, you, if you're on Twitter or Instagram or whatever kind of platform you use, even locally, um, and you know, we talk a lot about, I think social medias, but even locally, these, these like things are really important. Uh, whatever platform you're using to spread yourself, the best person who's going to help you first is going to be another artist, um, or someone in the industry, uh, because they're going to be, oh, I know this person who's going to be able to do it. Sure. And that's, that's you, whether or not they're an artist, but they're the link to the work. So that's probably number two for sure. Um, and the reason I put the cust- like communication with customers or clients first is because they're like, if, if they pass them on to you, you want to be able to like, uh, fulfill that recommendation. And so however you get your clients, if you can communicate to them really well and effectively, then you're going to keep them and they're going to, they're going to turn into a network for you. Because clients are the best type of network, like the absolute best type of network, like without a doubt. And yeah, also, when we had uh, Brian on, uh, he said like the best uh, marketing is um, customers, prior customers, because they'll yep. a recommendation from a prior customer means a whole lot more than whatever ad you can come up come up with. And adversely as well, like something th- something we learn really early in the sales kind of career, especially like high end sales is your negative experience as a customer is going to be shared two to three more times more likely than your positive experience. Um, So your negative review is going to be like, oh, look, I went to the shops and I bought this T-shirt and the rep was just on their phone the entire time, just not even looking at me. And then they put the price in wrong and I had to do this. Like you're going to talk about that because people like to complain. People just really like to complain and be like, my life's terrible. And like avoiding that is really good. And it's it's not like, I don't think that's very prevalent in that kind of art industry, especially because people are already coming to you going like, wow, what you do is awesome. And you'd have to try really hard to give them a bad taste, but it happens. There are artists out there who definitely give people negative kind of experiences and but we don't have a Yelp for artists, right? No. God forbid. No. Yeah, please God forbid that would be terrible. Well, I think the Yelp for <laughs> I think the Yelp for artists is like you know, the the network that's immediately above the working artist, like mm-hmm. art directors and 
you know like all the the, the higher ups so to speak because if yeah. you're dealing if you're dealing with private commissions um yeah i'm sure you can get away with a lot but I, I mean you hear way more about crappy clients when it comes to private commissions than you do like crappy artists so i don't yeah. know artists yes. are like we're so sensitive it's like we don't we don't have the energy to be too belligerent <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's a really good base to start from as a salesperson. Like, as a salesperson in retail, you start as a, a lying, thieving con artist, and your goal is to change that into a trusting person. So like, let me someone, inter let me interrupt you right me. there because that's something that artists are going to have a hard time with is getting comfortable with like their um well i don't want to say getting comfortable with their sleazy side because artists are generally i mean they have a lot in common with like software engineers in terms of like not being very <laughs> um outgoing mm. or you know um mm. so learning these kinds of skills and getting comfortable with trying to sell themselves as well as their product mm. is going to be tricky so with that in mind, somebody that doesn't have the type of background that you do and perhaps some of the disposition that you do, is there something that you can say about how people can try and get a little bit more comfortable with that or how they might go about learning some of those skills? I know that's a whole podcast in itself, but is there some like highlights mm. that you could hit for us? Absolutely. I think number one is like start being a little bit more honest with yourself and what you're capable of. Like we all have that looming, um, what do we call it? Doubt, I guess. Uh, there's there's that imposter we syndrome. We don't believe imposter syndrome. There you go. Thank you. And uh, we all have that imposter sy syndrome as artists, like, and some worse than others. But being realistic. And, like, I really mean being realistic about what you're capable of, especially when I said before, you know, other people see it as magic. Um, like, that is the truth, and that's not something ridiculous to understand. You can use a different industry to, like, you go as a, a plumber, like, I would not dare touch the taps under my sink. Um, and I look at the plumber coming and be like, I'm like stressed out, uh, this water's clogged up, like who knows, I've probably done something disastrous, it's going to cost a bajillion dollars and they come in for like 20 minutes and they go, yeah, it's fixed, it's all done. And you're like, how did he do that? <laughs> how? That's amazing. But like, or even just a cell phone. How do cell phones yeah. work? They're magic. Yeah, exactly. But if you break it down and you're the expert in that field, you understand either a part of it or much more than the user and taking that knowledge you don't have to explain it to the customer like that's keep that magic to yourself in in some respect you can explain some parts but that's not a part of it um or ex at least explain the parts that you think are beneficial to the customer uh the so first step is once you're realistic about what you can accomplish um with your own set of skills then you need to be honest about it and forthright about it because if you speak <clears throat> from clear honesty, if you don't know how to do sales pitches, uh, once you're coming across honestly, that is a sales pitch in itself. 
that is probably the most effective sales pitch that you can ever have is being like, I can do this. And if you're saying I can do this because you know you can do it, the person on the other end, if they have doubts, they're instantly going to be, you know, squashed somewhat whether or not that's their ability kind of, but they're going to be calmed by the fact that you've just spoken completely honestly. And that is the best starting ground because one, they already believe you because they've seen your aunt. So there's no point backtracking and giving them doubt. So start with the ground that like you almost have no doubt in your ability to perform what they're asking. If they've come to you, they've seen your stuff, they know you're capable, cool. I know that. Let's put that on the checklist. Let's go, oh, am, am I able to do this? In time, that's different. <clears throat> Am I able to do this in the required time or the required ability? Like, does this person actually know what they're asking for with ridiculous requests, blah, blah, blah. That's not a part of your sales pitch yet. Um, your first thing is like, yep, I'm capable. And that's how you talk. Like, that's how you address them. And addressing that with positivity as well affirms that. Uh And I think also another one, like really early on in the sales kind of world, you learn this kind of neat trick on, and it goes like hand in hand is getting people to say yes, like three times is the magic number that they say, getting people to just agree and not like avoid the disagreement is really good. It, it affirms that you're on the same page, it affirms that you know what you're talking about it becomes a positive like communication uh you can have no's in there and disagreement and that's fine how you handle those is a bit different but yeah just having people say yes lots like ask say things to be like so like just parrot back to them so you need this done by mid-december because it's for christmas yes (laughs) awesome Oh, okay, so you like you see them. I want this portrait of my pet. Cool, your dog is called this, right? Yes. Uh, what such a cute dog, hey? Yes. <laughs> like it's a it's a corgi. Kind of yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even simple things like that. Obviously, don't be way too simple. But the sky is that blue. You are listening to to them. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> the sky is blue. The sky is blue. Uh, that's a bit of a come on. You should know that one. That's, <laughs> that's a different podcast, actually. <laughs> but yeah, just just getting on the same page because because everybody just wants to be listened to and heard and understood. And yes, you know, there you go. Uh, that just creates a really positive environment. Um, and it and it it really works. It really, really works. And you don't need to continue that throughout the whole thing. That's just kind of like your opening. Hey, agree, agree, agree. That's great. That re- that's really helpful. Cool. You're on the same page. They think you're listening. They have trust in you. Gaining that trust is like this, you know. You can also lose that trust, um, but you want to gain that initial trust. And trust is really good because it affirms your professionality. Um, and you think... Like one thing I think about is a lot of big companies have this in their like 
you know, they might sell a product that's completely detached from human interaction, but you go down the line and the way you get that product is by talking to someone on the phone or by meeting a sales clerk or, you know, by emailing someone. Um, so you've always got those people and those skills and you're interacting with those kinds of people on a day-to-day basis. And you can kind of look at what you do as a person, even as an artist of like how you make purchases or how you interact with people um, and look at what they're saying and steal what they're saying. If you've gone and like, sweet, I bought this awesome thing from a store, local store, remember that interaction, why you had a good positive interaction and then steal from that. Like take ex- like take the the clues that like why did why was that positive to you and then try and reflect that in the in the the things you're doing as well because there is no there is no direct formula on like how to be a good salesperson there is a lot of people will try and tell you and teach you how to do that and teach you scripts um and those scripts are really i think are like guidelines uh but the main thing is believe what you're saying and believe that you know what you're talking about and express that to them in a positive way whilst listening to them because you they have something they have a problem they need solved you're that solution be a good solution be a, like a really good solution for them if so, there are uh, people oh sorry can i just real quick if there are people that are feeling sketchy about like scripts or whatever because that, that's actually a, a great idea um and there's a parallel, I think, in art because it, it is a new skill that you're learning. And I think just as in when people are trying to learn or strengthen their artistic skills, they'll do studies um, and they'll even mm-hmm. do tracings of you know masterworks, mm-hmm. you know, or works that they uh, really admire in order to learn how the thing is put together. So it's kind of the same mm-hmm. thing, like what I, what what you're talking about, exactly. from what I gather. You know, you get a script or you get you, you mimic an interaction that you had in an effort to strengthen those muscles that you may not feel are as strong for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get into like those further points of hard selling and upselling is that if you follow the script to the T, you'll probably hit one and two pretty well and you'll get about 60, 50 to 60% of your success. And uh you know of that client or that kind of situation uh if you like it's like when you go to and i use i'm using retail a lot because one a lot of us have like been to stores or whatever and that's my kind of background i can hear when a salesperson is quite new because they're doing the hi how are you going oh that's fantastic would you like a tie with this shirt (laughs) and it works to an extent but you don't you don't build as much trust like you're just kind of doing you're just doing the part um and so when you start using those skills or like not exactly uh you know at the start of an artist you might reference that study uh and just try and do a perfect match to it and i think james gurney is one of the artists that says uh i think it's james gurney he's like evolve the study or like build upon the study um make it into something of your your own and try and learn from it because there's much more to that study than just the image you see in front of you um so your goal sometimes is 
okay, I've got this portrait reference. I'm going to copy that portrait reference and then I'm going to like amplify it with my skills and like learn a lot about it and like push it up, make it better than the reference. And that's the same thing with your sales techniques is that, you know, you learn these scripts and you can push those scripts out there. It's not going to make a lasting experience. It may work uh, somewhat uh, and it's a good base. But you want to make make that conversation your own. That's why you can't. That's why I say the scripts are there as a good fundamental, but really take them and make them about who you are. Like that's the thing about sales is, yes, you're selling yourself and your own service, but you're also you want to make it your own. You don't want to turn into someone else because then it won't reflect your personality and it won't come across as genuine. So you take that and go, okay, I understand these points. Um, I understand this is a point where, you know, you might say in an email, one of the big ones is, uh, what's your budget? They might ask for a price and you go, your script is, uh, what's your budget? Instead, oh, I don't really work off of direct prices. What's your budget? And so that's the staple. There are 50 different ways to say that. And the best way to say it for that customer is how you read that customer. It's not, this is the best words for this exact email. It's, what has your prior conversation been with that customer? And what can you pick up on how to approach that question? And that's where you really start getting into, oh, this person cares about the product that they're going to give me or the service that they're going to give me and just actually wants to know, like, how can they get the best out of the money I have available? Um, otherwise, if you go, what's your budget? People are going to come back and be, you know, maybe like five times out of 10, they'll come back and be like, well, how much does the thing charge? And then you have that like table tennis match. And it's like, well, what's your budget? Oh, it has a much charge. Oh, it's about this. Um, and you kind of want to avoid that. You kind of want it done in like two emails or three emails, whatever. Um, so picking up on the fact that they might buy moose uh, picking up on the fact that they might uh say things uh is this going to mess up our order no he comes right back sorry i thought you were aware of that no i'm not yeah i um, tried to help you about that advance but forgot now to. i'm moose <laughs> uh yeah uh i think picking up on what they're asking and what sort of person they are if they're really direct if they're more emotionally kind of involved in their way they communicate and reciprocating that, you know, get on their level. What are they vibing off? Jump on their level. You know, someone might be really excited and chuck a bunch of emoticons in their chat. Then be that. Don't be a robot. Like, you so be yourself. Points. Yeah, like <laughs> a smiley face. Hey, how's it going? Don't write All caps. warmest regards, Samuel Fraser, and then you know the headings there, and it's all perfectly laid out and everything. It's it's uh, have a nice holidays, see you later. Or if they're like, if they are that, you know, to that point, be professional, be concise, be clear. Uh, getting on their level is a really great way to kind of judge how you're going to speak to someone, and if you can, it just adds to that, like formality for them makes them feel comfortable makes you feel comfortable 
sells yourself. All right. So I think this ties into another question I had. Um, let's say that you're an artist and you're not getting a whole lot of commission inquiries. How can you maximize the amount of budget that a client will provide you if you, you know, you need to maximize every time someone contacts you? Yeah, that's a, well, that's kind of, yeah, going into that, um, having a conversation about what they need. Um, what is it that they really want? Because someone might come to you with a, you don't know how much money someone has. And that's also something you learn in the sales industry. Like you never assume how much dollars someone has in their pocket or how much they think something is valued at. You have no idea what their life is like. And that is something you need to remember from the get-go, uh, which is what someone, which is why people say like don't undercharge because you might be missing out on funds, right? Um, but realistically what you're saying is I offer this one pro product and it costs this exact amount of money. And that's not a fun experience for anyone. Like it's it satisfies it satisfies the job but it doesn't leave lasting impressions it doesn't promote more uh like return customers so what you really want to do first is find out what they want what what is what's the like like it's art it's part of entertainment and so people have a strong connection to it and can attach a lot to it, uh, especially if you do like pet portraits. Pet portraits are fantastic, like, or just portraits in general are fantastic um, because there's a lot of emotional connection to those things. And so usually the first thing is to be realistic and be like, oh, this is an adorable pet, like, find out a little bit more of that background without being obviously too creepy in a sense where <laughs> you're like trying to find about their personal history let them judge how much information they give you but you know finding out what they would really like from this they might want a pet portrait and because their pets passed away recently uh you know asking questions like what sort of cat was toby like <laughs> too close for you jerry <laughs> what sort of cat was toby like <laughs> they look a bit sneaky like i don't know <laughs> show me about show me your favorite photos of your cat and why are they your favorite photos of your cat and then when they give you that information back and they go oh toby was such a sweet cat and loved to lay on my lap then you go, okay, so we could just do a straight portrait, but like maybe we try and make Toby look really charming and sweet. So we put Toby on a cushion instead and Toby's kind of like half asleep. Do you have any photos like that? And then you've got them excited and interested in this engagement, invested in this engagement. So once you found out like what you can really do with it, you, you now have this ability where you're going to sell a product to them that is much greater than their initial expectation. And so you've added value to it, like a lot of value. And that is, that's where you kind of like 
can increase your price. Um, and like even at this point, you might not have to, it's best if you have not discussed price. Uh, and then at that point, I guess you can start discussing price and that's like a whole another bandwagon. Um, but increasing the value of what you're going to deliver if you don't get a lot of commissions um, and you want to, yeah, like really make a solid buck from that commission, uh, it's really, it's going to help because then this person's going to invest their dollars into you. So a similar uh, issue arises here where, you know, clients typically, per, uh, personal clients, personally, personal clients typically don't uh, have a good idea of how much work they're asking you to do. So they don't know how much they're to expect something to cost. So they might think $50 is a lot of money because that's like, what, 10 dinners. So they can come to you expecting to pay $50 and then mm. you say, well, what's your budget? And then they say $50 and you're like, well, I can't, how does this work? Like where you are expecting to try to get a whole lot more or you need to charge more in order to make it worth your while. How do you break this down with a client if they're either not willing to pay very much or alternatively, in another situation where they're not able to pay very much. Well, uh, I guess like there's a bit of, there's a few things to that factor. And one is going to be um, obviously avoiding that. That's why I don't particularly love the, what is your budget to start off with. Um, and that's why I'd go for the, find the value first, have that conversation around the value, because at that point they start to forget about the price. They usually start off with the price. You don't have to, if someone asks you a price, you do not have to answer them straight away. Like you do not have to respond with an answer to that. You can respond with changing the conversation to the actual piece of art and act as if, oh, like, is this just a regular portrait or, you know, what's special about this cat? What's special about this thing that I'm doing? So you avoid that conversation. You start adding the value. You start creating a a trust and friendship and you know friendship i say um professional friendship i guess is the best way to put it you start adding the value on top you change the subject if they bring it back and they really really want to know then you can take that as almost a tell of okay their budget's not going to be too high don't obviously assume but if they if they are asking about price a lot that's going to be a, like a realistic thing but you've already done you've already done a little bit more work there so they're already going to be more honest with you about the actual budget, not what how much they want to spend. Um, and I guess uh, you also need to take into account like how much is this worth to you. And I guess when you're having that conversation, you you actually have some sway on how the image will look in the end, and you can now direct the image to something that you know you're more capable of doing. Because if someone goes, I want my six cats playing with each other and fighting each other and doing this thing and in the background it's my living room and you're like, fuck, perspective, multiple figures, this and that, that's like thousands of dollars we're talking. Um, so starting to navigate their conversation about what they really care about getting out of this piece, not the image they're describing to you because usually the clients will give you a terrible idea anyway. Like because they're not visually inept most of the time. They're someone who just has an idea, and realistically, that's their first idea. And they're not usually sold on it as well. So you don't have to do what they say, unless you're doing 
like professional work from a from a corporate company and you're doing something different but this is private commissions they're probably not sold on their own idea and they probably want your input anyway um otherwise they're just using you as a service and you charge them you say this is ex- if they don't if they don't want any part of this conversation as well you go all right it costs this much amount and you say how much it costs and you'd be really straightforward with them and they might get back to you and they might not and that's just a part of that's just a part of that world and you don't really want those clients heaps anyway you sometimes might want them every now and again and that's a <clears throat> that uh, joby is 100% a i've printed this thing off the internet can you tattoo it on my body and you go sweet it's going to i know it's going to take me 2 hours so this is my hour per rate for this kind of shit so sorry this kind of stuff so sorry. i'm going to do it for this much cursing and, is encouraged don't worry okay don't say that that's dangerous uh, <laughs> yeah, so I know it's going to co- cost this and like every tattoo artist hates that work I imagine there's probably not a lot of people who want to do that work and sometimes, sometimes it's nice know, I'm booked out sometimes, yeah, it's, nice. sometimes we, it's nice we call them pork chops for a reason yeah. funny story when I uh, when I got my tattoos done uh, the tattoo artist I, I designed my own tattoos and the tattoo artist said yeah most people uh, most other uh, people, tattoo artists wouldn't have taken this job and I was like oh I kind of took offense to that, but I was also kind of scared that he wasn't enjoying it or wasn't going to do a job. But turn off. Yeah, and that's number one thing not to way. say to a client. <laughs> yeah, that's not a great way to sell yourself. Like <laughs> that is probably the worst way. But coming from a tattoo artist, it's like yeah, I can kind of expect expect some of that too because there's ego there sometimes, and that happens with artists too. Uh, and the work was already done at that service. point, so <laughs> was it? Well, <laughs> well, um, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, you never, you, you're going to have those, you're going to have those jobs. And I think just being realistic about yes and no, but I, I feel like, I feel like that happens so infrequently to me that hmm. happens like the moment I ask a question and that for me in retail is I want to buy a tie. I want to buy a shirt and this is what I want. And I'll say eight out of 10 times, I don't sell them just that shirt or tie. I sell them a shirt and a tie and I give them some lasting advice as well. You can always do that too with those clients and, and be, be extra even if you're just giving the product as well because then you're also leaving a lasting impression on them and they're probably going to come back to you again um, because people like that are actually okay in terms of repeat services because they don't want to go through another person and have another conversation. Next year, they'll come right back to you and be like, all right, now I need my grandma painted. And you're like, sweet, my prices are going up a little bit. Here's 50 bucks <laughs> more. And then, you know, they're like, whatever, I know it's easy. Bang, done. Repeat work, fantastic. They're probably going to say to their cousin or their sister or brother that you do this. And then they might be a little bit different as well. So you can still have a positive influence on that customer as well and build them up to get yourself future value on top of that. So for, uh, I think we touched on this briefly, but just to expand on it, uh, for customers that are looking for D&D party character commissions, it's not uncommon for them to look for five to 15 characters in a commission and they're going in thinking that's going to be a hundred dollars total. Hmm. And 
obviously that's not feasible for anybody at any level of work um, to do for a hundred dollars. But is there any way to salvage that? Like, how would you go about, would you uh, try to get them to increase their budget? Would you decrease the amount of work? What would your approach be? Um, Explaining, that's when you kind of start to go into a little bit of your practice and explain what's actually going on. A good way to start that is going like, can you show me some examples of images of what you'd like? Like, can you like do a bit of a Google search and show me some like, where did you get this idea? Like, what art did you see? Uh, and you'll be able to look at that art that they send you and be like, that probably costs 1500 bucks. And you can relay that information to them. Like, okay, so something about this is actually a very high level of art that most artists will charge 800 to $1,500 for. I don't know if that's in your budget. If it is, great, we can do that. It's going to take this amount of time. And like that's that kind of conversation, regardless of if you know their budget yet, you should still have, you should still affirm that you're capable of doing that because it affirms your professionalism as well. Go, yep, that's fine if you want to do that. If that's a bit outside your budget, we can work on ways, or if that's outside your budget, we can work ways to kind of navigate to get something that you want and achieve what you need um, within your budget. So let's talk about your budget realistically, and then let's try and find a solution for you. And you might offer them some solutions and go, all right, so I'm going to do some line art with flat colors instead of fully rendered. You know, and that's something a bit more closer. You bring their stuff up because that line art flat color stuff is still magic to them. They don't really know the difference between rendered image and line art flat colored unless you show it to them then and there like this. And they mm. probably still think, that's sweet. Oh, yeah, I'll get one of those still. Like, you're not underselling them that much. You might go, oh my God, that's like, 15 hours less of work or 25 hours less of work but you're still giving them something to satisfy what they need you're being professional and they're they're like now starting to understand how the process works and if they respond to you negatively and harshly you are able to drop that client and just go like just get rid of them if they really if that budget is way too low for you and the amount of work that they're asking for and they're treating you poorly in that respect, there's plenty of other people out there. You're not missing out on an opportunity. Like you are not missing out on, on an opportunity to make money if you let that customer go. But responding to them in those ways and being still being on their ballpark and being like, this costs this much money and I'm capable of doing that, search your professionalism goes, okay, this person knows what they're talking about, but they're still willing to work with me. Uh, cool. Oh, that's awesome. Like, that's really great. Um, showing more examples of what is more capable in their budget. Uh, even if you have to pull from other people, you know you can achieve as well. Don't You don't have to have directly work in your own portfolio to show that. Um, a lot of people, I think, think they do, but you don't. You can just grab stuff off like other artists you know like you know you're what you're capable of achieving so just express that to them sure so a lot of artists uh, sorry a a lot of artists um in the commission you know the private commission world uh, have price sheets where it's sort of a breakdown 
what you were just saying, you know, a, a client isn't going to know the difference between line art and then cell shaded line art and blah, blah, blah. So it's a menu of this is what X, Y, and Z looks like, and this is how much it, it costs. You're kind of detonating that whole concept for me anyway, of price sheets. <laughs> like that's, it's sort of like I, I'm, I can still see some place for them, but now it's like, ah, I, I'm, less inclined to just send people a, a price sheet straight away yeah. I, is that i don't know what do you what are I your think, thoughts on price sheets i think your price sheet is your mass market like if you are if you're a hard-working artist who is able to like find that right price in your price sheet that is actually valuable for what you do and you sell a product that is this is what the product is and you're happy with doing that i am not sorry i am not happy with doing that myself that would drive me absolutely insane to do the same product over and over again with a different twist to it, like a tiny little different twist to it i could not be more exhausted than doing the same thing over and over again um a price sheet might be good for yourself internally as an artist i feel and a lot of people do do it but i don't know i i'm quite against like making it um like i don't know because i just feel like you're setting yourself up to lose the value that you probably could get and you're setting yourself up to be treated as a service and not as an individual um and those two things go against uh how i like to be treated myself or how i think artists should be treated for what they do um like we like as i said we sell magic essentially and there's no point in packaging that in plastic wrap and putting <laughs> it on the discount bin store um because also like one other thing we do like in retail like you go well sam you sell suits and they're priced at this much money we sell probably 30% of our product at full price um and then i reckon 60% of it or 50% of it at a discounted rate and then the other 20 to, yeah the 20 to 10% is just not sold at all right and so the way you work around that cuz that's price sheets in the retail world the way you work around that is you add value you add on you upsell and you do hard selling is hard selling is one of the soft skills i i tend to avoid um in a sense because it's really it's kind of like that that is hard selling hard selling is your price sheets it's like this is how much it costs and this is what it is and this is the contract and that's the timeline um it doesn't promote positive experiences all the time so your goal is to try and squeeze out more value and if you have a determined price then you're stuck in a loop of producing this art for this amount of time you have the price sheet up and you don't promote growth of yourself mm. as an artist or yourself as a business you promote yourself as a service that is now not expected to change and if your price sheets goes up you change your clientele completely almost or only a fraction of your clientele will move with you into a higher price point um I think that's pretty that's pretty important. The only uh reason I can recommend uh 
the, the people I recommend price sheets to are the people who are getting inundated with requests. Um, mm -hmm. Steve, for example, one day got 30 requests all because of one post on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So none of them actually hired him because, you know, he just sent the price sheet and it was out of their range. Um, mm -hmm. But if he had been trying to have a conversation with 30 people at the same time, I can't imagine being able to juggle that. Yeah, that's fair. That is absolutely fair. Um, that's a hard thing to deal with, I guess. Like, uh, there's ways around that in some way, but you're always going to feel like lose some of those customers because you're not going to be able to pick up who needs to be responded to straight away. And you don't know all of their budgets and you're yeah, responding to 30 people in one day. Um, like you could do things like I've just gotten like, I would just be straight up with them. Listen, from this post, I've gotten a stack of emails and stack of people. I'm happy to do what you want, but it's going to take me a few weeks to respond to you. Are you okay with that? And if they say no, like you're, you're 25 are probably going to be like, yeah, that's fine. Um, and then your five are going to be like, no, 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 I like need this ASAP. I'd respond to those people first and start that conversation with them first. A, a price sheet, like, may and like that 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 initial email or that initial response is pretty copy pasty. Like you could copy paste that. You just write it once really well. And you could copy paste that to the thirty people, right? And then you're not giving them a price. You're still sticking out of that conversation, and then you're just waiting on their response as well because. 25 people might respond, five are not okay, five are going to completely ignore you. Like, that's just what's going to happen. Um, and that's going to happen anyway. Like, those customers are probably not going to stick with you even if you had the time to talk to them. If they're not willing to accept that answer, that's not going to, like, yeah, just get rid it's of almost, them. Like, it's almost saying no in a different way like that's you know something that you've sort of reiterated a couple times now is getting comfortable with saying no and it's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think that's like really important i mean there's like i don't think that that can be emphasized enough for artists who are often like oh god the the famine mentality almost comes preloaded mm -hmm. in the artist brain and then if i don't grab every single one that i'm going to be in the poor house next month it's like it's it, you have to learn to say no and that's like that's really important mm. i was i wanted to follow up what you were just saying though um uh in response to moose's que uh question about you know just being inundated do you think that there's like a happy medium like is it too corny to have like instead of like a price list you you still have something pre-written that you can you know mass send out but it's a little bit more personable and has a little bit more of a you know personal touch as far as like talking a, it's a it's a little blurb on your website of how you work and you know what your personal approach is to things um you know almost specifically for that type of, of situation and you can start alluding to price but it's not mm. you're not getting in deep or whatever it's 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 almost like a little about me section almost specifically for yeah. the purpose of opening a dialogue about price in a situation yeah. where you have to just get something out to a lot of people well if you if you are a type of artist who ru starts running into that or you kind of expect it to happen because you're going to put out a character you're going to put out of like a character art or whatever or a portrait um you never know which one's going to be super popular but if you're feeling good about something i mean preempt yourself with that kind of conversation start that like build a form on the website with the about me 
And then that form is not just somebody directly contacting you with, I need this done. In that form, you're like, tell me a bit about yourself or tell me about the art you want to produce. Ask them questions already for them to start their response to because then that one gets them thinking about the value as well and it also gets them into the mindset that this is something a little bit more personable, something a little bit more uh, like that they're going to have to put some effort in as well. Uh, And then, yeah, if you can like relay past work that you've done and give them a price range maybe once or twice if you feel like that's going to happen um i don't know i still feel as i'm not that type of artist but i still feel like quite strongly against that to be quite honest with you like opening any point of price point for me is just something i always avoid Mm. like in sales of anything because they're going to come like they're going to ask about it anyway and they're going to talk about it anyway and you might as well talk about it like when it's appropriate um not before it's appropriate because that is once again you might be either steering people off you could work for because they can't afford that kind of price range but they still might be able to afford a price range that you are able to do work for them in um and as we said before, that's still really valuable. Uh, it turns into repeat clients. It's still a client you might want. And it's you might be steering away people who have, or not steering away, like not taking advantage of customers who can afford a, a, a higher end product and can pay more to like fulfill that uh, income. So I don't know. Uh, if you do get inundated with requests, Maybe it's maybe it's a point to introduce some sort of like price barrier. I know I like know a few artists who do like a lot of work and they just do a bunch of personal work all the time. And they barely take commissions and they just sell stuff online. And they sell a ton of art online and they've got sold and the price is crossed out. And the prices are really varied between pieces. Uh, and that works super well for them. Because then it gives them a low point and a high point of like what their work is going to cost between. Uh, And then you might still have people come in with a bit of work that's worth a lot more than that. And it's still valuable. You probably won't get anyone who's like under that price, under that minimum price point at all. Um, You'll be getting people at that minimum and above. And that might work. Just to be clear, you're talking about also changing the scope of the project as long as well as. changing the uh the price so you're not gonna yep. do a hundred dollars work for a giant thing and then a hundred thousand dollars for the same full the same thing. thing no okay no i think that's bad practice i think yeah. that's being a con man or a con person. <laughs> i think that and, is i think that's bad practice as a business in general yeah that's worth stating because there was some debate in the chat as to whether or not there was a place for charging variable rates, but the the key to variable rates is variable product. It's not variable yep. rates for the same product. You have to delineate, yep. you know, what it is that you're doing for the yep. appropriate amount. Of- I mean, you might like this. Is the thing is your product, like this is why it's like it's also a service. Uh, you might draw, a, a, you know, a picture of a cat. 
um i'm right right now i'm drawing lots of cats <laughs> i just like need to <laughs> that's what's on my head uh you might draw a picture of a cat and it, you charge someone two hundred dollars and then you might draw a picture of a cat and you charge someone four hundred dollars and they might be similar ish but they're never going to be two of the same images um and also like one client might be like yes great here you go and another client might be like 20 emails later that is a service that they have to charge for <clears throat> the image might be the same or similar type but if they're making you take 20 emails to sort out this thing you charge them for that like that is something that's why you don't go this that's why i feel like if you go yes to that exact price on a price list you are signing yourself also up for like some awful amount of email time for people <laughs> who are not worth it and you should charge that admin fee you should charge the fees that your hardware costs you should charge the insurance you should charge the time if something needs to be done in this amount of time and it's the same image you have to charge more because you're going to spend more direct time on it then and there and it's going to push other work away so you need to bring value for that like you're not just charging for the image that you're spitting out <clears throat> you're charging for the service and the professionalism that's why a lot of people go you've also studied for eight years sure but you also got to get up and write these bloody emails every day and you've got to get up and talk to this pain in the butt customer and if they are a pain in the butt charge them for being a pain in the butt because you're spending more time working with them and that is still time on the service that they're paying for it's not the time when your pen is to paper it's the time when you're talking to them thinking about the product uh convincing them that this is the direction you want to go ahead if they want to see a sketch sometimes as artists we know sketches aren't always like the thing that you want to do or necessarily need to do to produce a piece of art sometimes if you've got an idea in your head and your process is bang 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 you don't need to put a sketch out but if someone demands a sketch then you charge them for it like your service is as an entertainment worker in, in any respect your service is never going to be exactly the same every single experience you have like even if you have a price sheet um and so uh, allowing for that and putting that in in the price is 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 just reasonable to me um, so with with all of these things being uh, factored into your any uh commission that you do is it reasonable to have a minimum amount of uh payment that you would accept for any I, th uh, I think so i kind of do i think yeah that minimum has gone up over the last years it used to be like a hundred bucks i'd be like yep not doing anything even a stick figure for less than that but yeah i think i think you need to have a minimum just because uh yeah i think you're going to invest a certain amount of time and like one of the big things is like um you need to be able to ensure for them that you're going to be able to get it done and that has a minimum cost because if your hardware fails or your software fails you need to be able to replace that almost immediately um or at least find a replacement and that should be about your minimum. Like your thought is, 
okay, I'm working on like five products at the moment. If all of these five products are above this minimum, um, then I know at any point if my hardware fails, I can get it repaired because it's going to cost roughly this much money. And that's an insurance. Like that's an insurance on yourself and the customer. And you can choose to express that or not if you need to. I don't think it's that necessary, but it's there for yourself and peace of mind. If you only get one commission at a time, your minimum might be a little bit higher or the, you know, think about what sort of backups you have in case like it does fail and like what you'd need to be able to like replace that. You might need to go out and get a uh, a Wacom sketch pad, which costs like 50 to to $100 or whatever they cost just to get it done. Like that's a really basic insurance and that's going to cost, yeah, 50 to to $100. And you're also going to have to pay for your Photoshop subscription. So you add that on. And they're like, that's a kind of good minimum. Like, wouldn't do anything less than that. Absolute, absolute less than that. Because, um, yeah, that's, that's just essentially that insurance. Because if you can't, then you're going to have to do a refund. And that's much worse than everything else. Like, and, and refunds are a part of our industry. Like, any type of service and product that we give, have a think about how you would approach a refund because it, it's just as important as a sale as well. I know uh, many artists don't have a no refund policy. They have a um, a deposit fifty uh, percent down up front, and then no refunds on that. And then after the uh, product is completed, then you get the other receive the other fifty percent of the payment, and you send mm-hmm. them the final result. And also that is non refundable. Yeah, well, that's a different type of refund I'm talking about. That's like a the client base refund is. Uh, in terms of like you've done your job and they want a refund Mm. oh well i'm talking about if you can't complete your job and you need to give someone a refund because you have not fulfilled the service Mm. that you have promised them um like especially around uh birthdays and christmases and stuff like at the moment my arm is so bad as i've mentioned to you moose and you probably heard about I've, i've had a lot of struggles with my arm and I've had to lower the amount of Christmas commissions I've taken and I'm down to a couple and I've discussed with these people. I'm like, what sort of timeline are we realistically looking at? Because I'm going through some health stuff that I can't complete uh, your pieces in the amount of time that you think the refund is also available there as well. None of of them have taken it at all, but these are clients that I'm happy to express to them. I'm happy to give you a full refund if that makes you feel any better because both of them are repeat clients. Um, And that is also a part of the service. They're like, no, we don't want it. It's cool. Like you got till end of gen. And I'm like, all right, wicked. Like I'll, I'll just take care of myself and make sure I can complete that thing. But I need to be aware that if I am not able to, because the uncertainty is still there at the moment, that I'm capable of giving them a refund. And you're not capable of giving someone a refund if you're not charging the right amount of money in the start. And that, that is like your minimums and stuff like that come into play. Um, and it also is, I would never suggest a refund at any point until you, until you really feel like you can't like complete the thing. And also judge it per person as well. Sometimes you don't even need to mention it and you can just say, uh, there might be a delay on this. Is that okay uh, for these reasons? You don't have to mention the word refund at mm. all. So there's also a, a bit of an extension here where uh, I know some artists hate having any queue 
they hate having uh, like 10 people lined up and have 10 people waiting for their, their work. And there are other artists who have like a year's waiting line after they've been, you know, a year's worth of commissions lined up. Uh, is it wrong to have a large waiting list? Um, I think that's just like how you run your service and if that's okay with the client. Um, that's like, a, that's like, mine are usually like a, a month or two, I guess, that I give because then it allows, or sometimes three months, because then it allows for someone to come in if they need something completed really quickly uh, that I can do that for them. Um, and I'm I've, I'm a personal fan of having a few things on the go because it just keeps me more interested and I can jump between them. Um, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, I feel like that's just like your own personal way of how you want to deal with that. And you're, as long as you're doing the initial sales pitch and people are kind of understanding of that, if you become an established artist who knows that there is a long wait time, a lot of people don't care about that. Like, they really don't care about it. And then they know that <clears throat> if they want something by a certain date, they might have to pay extra. And you're like, yep, cool. Like, if you don't budge on that timeline, you're probably going to lose sales, I guess, and, and customers if you have no budging on that. Um, I don't think there should be any amount of guilt. I think you just need to be honest from the get-go, like how long something takes. And that's really easy because you just go, when do you need this by? Like when, when ideally do you need this by? Give me a ballpark. And if that doesn't fit in with your schedule, then you say, I could probably get it done by this date. Is that okay? If not, um, I might have to add a rush fee of this amount. I know. I have um, to add a rush fee. I know many artists use a rush fee of 50% to skip to the front of the line. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, that's also like, this is why I think the only thing I do that is actually based on an exact value is uh, pay 50% up front or, uh, and 50% on completion or full up front. That is the only real option I give for people. Uh, I just include that rush part, a part of the, the constraint. I see Jovi giggling here, and it's. I'm sorry, no, I distract you. Reacting to Daria in the chat. I'm trying to avoid it. I'm like this. It's it, you're better like, off, Sam. You're a professional. <laughs> you're professional today, Sam. I'm trying to not dance. I'm trying not to do all the things that I usually do. Um, no, I think I would just include that. Like, I think I say because it needs to be done by this time. Uh, you know, it might bring up the cost a little bit because I've got to rush it and push some other stuff back. And just be like, okay, like that to me is just going, yep, that makes sense. And then it's not like 50%. Oh, how much is that going to cost? I mean, they don't really need to know, I don't think. Um, but I guess if you're getting that amount of like flow of work, I, I personally get like a lower flow of work and charge more because I find that's how I work best. And that's go goes right back to the start of like, being honest with yourself and what you are capable of and what you want out of your art career as well. Like not necessarily to match other people, just like you're your own service. Like what do you want out of this? Like how do you want to like approach it and how do you want to navigate it? Like what is going to give you the most fulfilling kind of 
career like what is going to put food on the um on the plate what is going to like pay the bills and what's going to like put a smile on your face like that is there's like a, a really big thing is like what are you going to enjoy the most about your art practice and i just that's why i steer away from price sheets is because that to me sounds really not fun <laughs> like that sounds really crap so I know you have a pet peeve about price sheets, but my personal pet peeve is about uh, commission slots. Have, do you have com- okay. uh, It's like artificial scarcity, but it also limits the number of people that can buy at any given time. Uh, and then people will be in a rush to fill up their 10 slots immediately as soon as they post. And they're not really gaining any benefit from having you know the, the slots be full at all. I, so I, I'm just a little confused. Do you have any thoughts on... Uh, why someone would actually want price slots or commission um, slots? From what I know, I've never pushed out commission slots. I think I've mentioned the word maybe once in one promotional post, but I've never like given a number. Um, I would use it as a sales technique. I don't see, I don't know, because an arbitrary amount of slots is no, like it's, it's if you have five slots, like that is also still an arbitrary man, amount of work. Like it doesn't really matter how many slots you have open. Like it's still going to take X amount of time that you have no idea until they're, until you get them. Um, Unless you have so a very I, regimented, I mean it, like these are the only kinds of things that I offer. And I know exactly yeah. how each one of, how long each one of them takes. Yeah. Which is, which goes back to what you are, we're saying that sucks. <laughs> don't do that <laughs> sucks and it's and it's i mean like you uh yeah maybe for like the holidays you might do that like if you know i don't know they're they're the pork chops like they're the ones where it's just like yep i need some cash i need to get some income and i'm going to take advantage of this holiday and i'm just going to promote just a good old portrait um you might do it for that you could you could use it as a sales technique if you are someone who has a large following um i think it's a pretty and you don't often do private commissions maybe and you just want a bit of boost in cash you go i've got x amount of slots open because it's going to make people rush in um but if it if if you are purely or mostly based off of commission work you're probably shooting yourself in the foot a little bit um but i mean that's hard selling that is directly hard selling that is i'm making a demand and you need to fulfill it, otherwise time will run out. And it starts off with like a negative connotation to me and doesn't provide like a happy experience um, and puts you on like a pedestal that you probably don't need to be on. Um, but I could see it working for people who do like private commissions sometime um, and you know, not that yeah. kind of work all the time. There's an, uh, an artist who comes to mind. They do you know, amazing work. And they were undercharging for their work and they only had limited slots with it. And they said, well, I can undercharge for this because one, I want the money right now. And two, um, it's only, it's limited. So I'm not doing this all the time. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, if you didn't undercharge, you didn't, you don't need 10. You could only get, you could just get one and have that filled out. Hmm. So it just made no sense to me. And I was, curious if there was anything that i was missing that you might know from your background but it sounds like we're all on the same page that it's just not worth it no it's not worth it but like you know 
we're also talking from people who have like roofs above their heads and rent that they can pay. And like, like I have a stable income outside of art as well. And so I don't have that direct need to have cash in my pocket at this very moment. Um, I feel like actually a wanker standing here with the suit on talking about that now. <laughs> it's like, I'm still a struggling artist, people. Don't worry. I just look like this because I'm an idiot. Um, I think you just like, ruined the magic uh, trick, man. I you, did. You, you I peek, did. You, I just you let us all it. peek behind. We were all so confident in everything that you were saying. Give me five minutes. I'm going to go change into my, like, hold on. Can I, like, look shorts? Everybody shorts. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's probably a place for that. There's probably someone who needs, like, the money, like, now and then. And I don't think that's a practice that if you could get out of, it would be really good for you as an artist. Um, if you're in a position where you kind of need to do that just to like get by, then you know who like what am I to say? Like I can't help you with that. Um, I think you could shift it slowly. If you could shift, if you are in that position where you're struggling to like kind of pay bills, but this works um, and exhausts you, I think you're better off trying to shift that slowly towards something more valuable to you um because yes you could just do one and then get paid for the whole 10 but likely you're not going to get you're going to get paid half up front and then half at the end and then you're like how do i pay for my meals in the middle um that's fair i think that's very fair but ideally i think you want to shift down to increasing the value of the work that you do to to lend yourself to doing stuff that you like and this goes back to like doing art that you want to do as well going back to what do I want to like actually draw? Do I want to do portrait, pet portraits? Do I want to do fantasy art? Do I want to do sci-fi art? Like do I want to do really freaking good pet portraits? Like if that's what you want to do, um, you know, you're, you're going to have to shift your value up eventually. Um, and so any way that you can, head towards that goal uh whether it is immediately by changing what you're doing or slowly i think it's just going to be beneficial for you as a person your joy and like the service that you give to customers because if you do take 10 commission slots you are spending 10 times less time on each customer to like fulfill what they want and to fulfill kind of i don't know uh a really good service like you're just going to be giving them less of a time where you can give them a lasting impression, I think. While we're so, on this topic of, of price, maybe it, this might be a, a, a good spot to insert, insert this. Um, you, you live in Australia. Australia has get, get uh, not the lowest standard of living in the world, um, but it's the cost of living is a little bit lower than the states and an objection that we hear often in this area is something along the lines of i live in indonesia or i live in poland I, it would it sounds crazy for me to charge 500 600 1500 you you know you name it whatever above the 30 dollars that i am charging for a commission that just sounds crazy hmm. So that's fair. I think being that's pretty fair. 
Is that fair? Well, see, I was wondering if, you know, being There's in your thoughts to it, but yeah, being in your position, you know, living in, in a, in a country that, that is, is Western industrialized, you know, higher standard of living, but the cost of living might be a little bit lower. Maybe you would have some thoughts on, you know, like how that comparison, you know, how we can think about that comparison between, you know, artists that live in high cost of living areas compared to artists that live in lower, much lower cost of living areas. I think, um, you know, we, for one, immediately forget our privileges of living in high cost of area uh, places. Like a lot of the low cost area places don't have a lot of privileges that we have um, immediately in terms of living arrangements and actually just the public safety and public health and all that sort of stuff that we kind of get for living in the high cost uh, so we need to, as people, just take into account that first, and it's no, it's not fair to immediately go. You should be on our level um, because that makes it hard for us, right? I don't think that's a great platform to start that conversation at all. I think the best way is to try and understand where they're coming from. Um, I think for an artist who does that. Uh, what I would say to you as advice so that you're capitalizing on as much as you can as an artist because your art value is, you know, still here, even though you only have to cost here or charge here. Um, I mean, you could be living the, you could be living the dream. Maybe my suggestion would be to uh, put your price there locally, find out a way that you can appeal locally. Um, uh, and to those places and do your work locally in that price range, that lower price range. And then your online stuff, like I don't deal with Australian customers otherwise, only if they're local, like that's it. And then I charge them my local rate and that is completely different to what I'm charging, um, you know, in my internet online dollars, rate. Yeah. yeah, my internet dollars. Because like my internet dollars are in US. And that's where a lot of my customers come from or they come from US or the UK who have more dollars to be able to throw around, I guess, um, or have more internet dollars to throw around. The, the dollar is worth less to them uh, than it is to the other person. Uh, it just seems like it would be bad practice to even do local customers if they're paying less, whatever possible. Well, I mean, to them, their local customer is like the value that they're charging now online. Like that's what I mean. Like if they're going to charge $30 for a commission and that $30 pays their rent for the month or the rent for two weeks, I think that's fair. Like do that to your local customers. But like you're just missing out on work. You're just missing out on value. Like there's just, no, I just don't see any point. Yeah, you might be getting a stack of commissions and being like, yeah, yeah, I'm earning like a lot of more money, but it just goes back to the exact same part of like, your value is still up here and you're just missing out on that. Like you're just missing out on that. Like we online, it does not matter where we are from. Like your value is here and the dollar is here and it's usually the US dollar and you are able to make that more money if you want to. Like if you don't want to, you're underselling yourself um, on to your online customers and you're giving yourself a service that is just like, not very useful for you in the long term uh 
because like you don't know how like long your value is going to stay the same online your dollar in your local economy might change quite a lot because of political reasons and then you kind of now shot yourself in the foot where you can't afford to pay rent off of these 30 things because something politically or economically has happened that has changed that completely and now that you bump your prices up 200% you lose all of your customers it's like you could just be there anyway and just do it because there's nothing stopping you at all because as i mentioned before doing that yeah doing the 10 for 30 or 1 for 300 it's like it's the same amount of dollars but to me feels much more like they just come off come as often as the other one does like yeah you're you're just kind of setting yourself up for like more work and failure in your future and not a long lasting like service that you can provide i think yeah you um, you said you said something that i'm glad you said cuz i didn't want to put it in the question and put words in your mouth and and you know like try and lead it out of you but you know that idea of once you're online you're in a in a global market and at that point your your competition is isn't gauged in local dollars it's it's what Mm -hmm. the industry standards are and if you haven't done yourself the service of figuring out what the industry standards are and lifting yourself to that standard then you're just allowing yourself to be exploited in a sense, you know? And mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, everybody understands the atrocity of sweatshops. And, you know, we, 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 know, what, we know what that is. So don't put yourself in your own little one-person sweatshop, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. it, don't, don't when, you're in, when you're in the global economy and doing something like commissions online, that's that's your opportunity to you know be escape. the exploiter <laughs> <laughs> be that exploit like if if I mean, we in, lived a sense, in that yeah. kind of country like you're only what you are doing is bringing more like economically speaking you're doing a fantastic job for your country if you charge more you're bringing right. in more dollars oh. into your own local economy awesome. and boosting it up from just exploiting the countries that have too much money and like go for it like as someone who is australian like yeah we can't afford to pay more for someone if you get an australian person who wants a commission from you and you're in indonesia um or you're in like a country that does not need to charge much more exploit the crap out of us like go for it like there's no you're not having any negative effect on them and they do not care where you come from and i think you should do that 100% because it's going to improve your life in the future. It's going to improve your economy in the future globally. And it's, all, uh, like, it's also going to, uh, sorry, locally, and it's also going to improve the lives and economy and service of other artists in your local area and across the world as well. Because ideally, it'd be great if it was just you know one flat line. It's not like that, obviously. But you can have that positive influence on the world uh, from where your perspective is. Um, and you don't know, like, if, if you do live in a country like that, you deserve, you deserve to exploit people in that regard. And exploit is quite a terrible word for it. But <laughs> Reverse like, exploitation. You don't have, yeah, well, you don't have some of the privileges that those other countries have 
And so you need to pay extra for things like healthcare and access to medication and access to safety and access to other things that may be not as comparable in the countries that we live in um, as a Western society. So go for it. Like you need that money, like go for it, just take it. Like there's nothing wrong with that at all. And yep. yeah, you're setting yourself up for what we've already talked about. You're just losing the value. Um, so and with- if that does change, you know, you're in a kind of a crap position then. Well, so with that in mind, going back to something that you said kind of at the at the beginning in your immediate response to my first question about there are some things that we need to keep in mind, you know, in highly advanced western industrial civilization about the 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 luck of the spot of ground that we were born on. Um some people get triggered by the word privilege, so I'll try and avoid that and just say that the, the luck of the draw being born where we were, where we were born there's some sensitivity that we can have you know to people that live in less fortunate places and the place and and their outlook on how they're going to charge what is some language that we as you know western industrialized high standard of living what is some language that we can use to better engage that conversation so it doesn't come off as you have to raise your prices for my benefit exactly uh like that's really hard like that's the solution that i don't know i guess too much but um (laughs) i think like it's gonna start with the conversation like just open that conversation with those artists if you have artist friends who are in that community and do charge that much get a more understanding of their position like understand like what their life is like and compare it to your own um and have that honest conversation about it uh and maybe they adversely don't see the reason why they need to obviously uh but you might be like oh well i've got this in my life as a guarantee um and i don't have to pay for it or it's pretty cheap for me. Um, I think finding that common ground and then expressing that is going to be the key part about learning how to communicate that positively um, by showing what those, uh, I mean, only privileged people are going to get triggered by the word privilege. (laughs) Sorry, I had to put it out. (laughs) But... um, you know, what those kind of uh, benefits that we have, like maybe we just need to unpack them a little bit more in a conversation and actually realize what they are. Like, I mean, these are some of the things, having this conversation with you, I feel like even just thinking about this now is something I'd I'd be like, oh gosh, I really want to talk to like another artist who's like that. I really want to understand that a little bit more. Um, now because I, I actually don't know. Uh, this is kind of like some of the first times I'm thinking about this kind of thing. Um, I've always had some sort of like latent kind of understanding, I guess, uh, of that or just latent, um, just, I don't know, just the assumption that, okay, life is different there, so I can't be too harsh. Um, but just, I think, opening that conversation with your artist friends. I think that that's up to us as artists as well um, to 
to find that solid ground because maybe there's maybe there's ways that we can us in that kind of more advanced western world can assist with that to make it easier so it's less of a competition because sometimes it feels like that right sometimes it feels like a competition it feels like they have an easy uh, what what i've experienced with them having these conversations uh is that they think that this is their way to get easy easier work and more work at those prices and what i point uh sorry to cut you off with this but i've had Mm -hmm. this conversation a whole lot um i uh help run a subreddit that is for artists who charge a certain amount and you've helped me with this uh as well sam uh you've seen you've seen the document already uh so the way i go about it is pointing out one how much their peers are charging for this sort of work for their level of work how much they can make in this industry and then you know their mind is blown that they can make 10 times as much per drawing and they realize then they can draw less or make more or somewhere in between Mm. and when it's seen as their benefit to do so they can at least try it for a month or two months to charge more Mm. see how much work they get at those prices and they might be surprised because there's a whole lot of more people making hundred thousand dollars or more per year than the average person thinks because Mm. just because quote unquote i am not making hundred thousand dollars doesn't mean that there's not a lot of people out there that aren't and that those are are typically the people that are going to be hiring you so the people that are making a bit less are the ones that are going to be the more low budget customers that have high expectations and low budgets. So those are the people who aren't going yeah. to be hiring you anyway. Yeah. And I think that's also to say like, you know, this globalization of the industry over the past like 10 to 15 years is been really beneficial and has allowed access for these people to have some sort of, um, kind of easy income to make doing something that's quite enjoyable and that's that again once is very fair like sure like if this is awesome for you because you charge $30 for a commission like makes sense to me but like hey we're probably at that point where we could just make this better for you like and it's not gonna it's got not gonna have a negative effect on your life or on your own industry and your own services as a person, you could either slowly take that step or do it for one month. Um, and this is like goes back to price lists and like also talking about price early on in the conversation, both things that I think are not great. Like once again, like that person doesn't need to know where you're from and what a meal costs. Um, like. They don't necessarily they're after an image <laughs> like uh so like both of those two things are like negatively gearing you like it'd be really interesting if one of those artists with like a ton of followers just like kind of threw away all history of what prices they used to cost um and charge and just kind of work for a couple of months on that basis of communicating and understanding and like focus on that kind of way of service and they might like receive a lot less commissions, but I mean, they've kind of done a groundwork that a lot of artists over here would never be able to do. So it's kind of some sort of advantage in some respect. So they're going to have like a larger following. They're going to have produced a lot of art and they're going to have a lot of positive reviews. Ignoring the price, 
those are three things that I wish I bloody had. Like, that would be great. Uh, and you can just focus on those three things and use those to your advantage because no one, if you remove the evidence, is going to care about that. And there might be an initial kind of drop, but uh, if you can find a way around that, that would be fantastic for you, I feel like. Like, absolutely fantastic for you. So maybe we can do things as Western cultures to promote them so they don't have to fear that drop as much. Maybe that's where we should step in and help out and be like, all right, this is a risk that they take and it's a very real risk on their well-being. The, uh, oh, I don't want to cut you off if you were, if you were no, pausing. No, um no. well the one of those efforts is that subreddit that moose was talking about and i don't know some of the thanks that you get for trying to make that effort is being called the art mafia <laughs> well i mean we have like that is a part of it like right. that is that is right part to this back to the start of like we are assuming we understand and so and, we need to aim to un- understand more. And so as we're since we're kind of like on a cool a good roll of getting a little doing a little bit more to promote more under understanding there's there's another oft-heard refrain in this conversation which is that if I raise my prices I'm not going to get any clients. Do you have any thoughts on on a response to that? Um I mean that I think you go back to like going right back to the start of like be honest with what you're capable of not in terms of price like what you're capable of your art and like what you can achieve with your art and where your art <clears throat> art skill is at like if you can honestly look at it and be like okay I'm here I can equate myself roughly to these kind of sorts of artists and that's really hard to do it's really 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 difficult to do and it's probably best that you get some outside perspective on that um, from friends or other artists. But being honest about like what you are capable of producing as an artist um, is a good place to start um, because, like, I don't know, we also as artists don't often talk about how much we charge between each other um, other than in private conversations. So maybe we need to be a bit more public about that to each other um, so then people don't fear it because that's not very true, I don't think. Like as someone who has slowly raised their price over the last four or five years, I haven't had less work. I don't know. I feel like, I've, I, feel like I've, I feel like I have actually had, as someone to be quite honest with you, my price point has been higher than my skill. And that might be a lot of me projecting onto that. But there is, yes. I think, some truth to that because I know I can charge more because of my sales pitch. I know I give someone probably better service in terms of how they feel about the, the, the service and the situation, the product, than a lot of other artists. And I've used that to my advantage to make more money like directly charge more than other artists. I'm probably realistically charging the right amount um, and then generally artists charge less uh, and that's probably what's going on. But I 
you know, my experience in business and sales has led me to that. Um, and I think like, yeah, uh, if you are afraid of raising your prices, um, test it out. See what a see what a customer who approaches you with. Like, if you get twenty at like, if you get five to ten people bugging you about commissions a month because you've got lower prices, like take one risk and see what happens. Take two, like, just take it. Just be like, all right, let's. I'm going to try it with this this one person who I think has probably got a little bit more money because of how they speak or what they're saying or they're not like too concerned about price. They say like price is not an issue. Like, you know, a lot of people say that. Like a lot of people say that to me, like price, don't worry about the price. It's not an issue. I just want a ballpark on how it feels. All right. Chuck another 200 bucks on there. Double it. Like see what they say. Like I've definitely been in the situation where someone has said to me, like, I just want to pay you fairly. And so I've given them a, a figure and they've put it up. Like, I've given them a figure higher than what I wanted, essentially. And they have gone, I reckon we can make it this much. Like, that has happened more than once. And you're living in a like, different part of the me. simulation, bro. I don't. This is, <laughs> this is, but am I? I no, like, these people are your neighbors and stuff like that. They're people out there who. There is yeah. unfortunately the realistic thing is, and I'm saying this to bloody everyone, there are so many people out in the world with way too much money <laughs> and they need to give it to you. Like that is that is the fact. As someone who sells suits, at one point I sold, sold suits that started at $3,500, mm -hmm. right? I have been in situations where people have walked in and spent tens of thousands of dollars on clothing because they were bored. Like, I need that to be realistic. They were bored and they spent tens of thousands of dollars on clothing that they did not need in any way. And that still happens today in this global pandemic. Those people have made more money this time round through a global pandemic. They have not been in the same situation that a lot of you, me, and everyone else have been in. They have excelled and made more money. There is nothing wrong with taking more money from them at all. Obviously, offer them a good service, but like they got money, especially if you're doing D and D. If you're doing D and D, mm -hmm. a lot of Rich board people play D and D, like yeah. it's just like people who do D and D just have tons of money, and that's fine. Squeeze it from them, ring them <laughs> to death, make them worry about how much they're paying for. If you can get to the point where they feel uncomfortable about how much they're paying to you, and they have plenty of money in their bank account, you've done a good job, <laughs> I think, for the well, world. Well, this echoes so a comment that uh, we saw earlier in the chat. From Daria, that I, I think is very true. Art is a luxury, you know. It's a luxury item, and and you should be proud to be able to provide a luxury service or a luxury item to people. You have a very unique set of skills. It took you a long time to hone them to the point where you can put them on display for people and charge money for that skill. 
it's totally okay for you to take pride in the fact that that is worth gold bricks. Own that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To, to uh, bring this back to art real quick, uh, f- follow that up is with the uh, idea of ha- not knowing how much the person's budget is. There were two people in our uh, our group, two people, two artists that we know, and they had ended up with, with the same client at the exact same time. One artist got char- uh, got paid two thousand dollars for it, and the other uh, person got paid five hundred dollars for it, just because of their negotiations. Uh, one artist was able to say, "Hey, if you get this much more, if you if you get wings, if you get dragon, if you uh, get a background, it'll be you know this much more." And the guy just kept saying, "Yes, yes, yes." And in the other guy's case, uh, I think I know who you're talking about. They said, <laughs> "They said, uh, $500, and I'll give you what you want." And then the guy said, "Okay." So the client was just relying entirely on what the artist asked for uh, in, for the price. He might have gone higher. Maybe two thousand dollars was his cap for anything. Maybe his total budget was twenty five hundred. But we don't know. What we do know is that one got paid four times more than the other person for the same amount of work. Yep, that's pretty realistic, and that just explains right then and there. I feel like we don't. Yeah, sure, we don't know their budget, but I think we can make some sort of like basic assumptions that that person just has a ton of money and just wanted to spend what they were being asked to spend for the image because I almost think I know probably who you're talking about and the client it's themselves and yeah you just like you don't know you really don't know how much money people have and it's it's not fair for you to assume that you do because one yeah you're just going to miss out on yourself and two they're going to take advantage of you Mm. like (laughs) they're going to take advantage of that item like I have a little bit of a disagreement on the word luxury about art because I feel like in this pandemic we've proved that entertainment is uh, sh- it's a luxurious item to be able to afford sometimes, but it is also a very integral part of human nature and that we need to continue being able to have access to as well. Commissions fit a little bit differently that than that, but I think entertainment itself is not purely luxury. That's, that's fair. I mean, I mean, I could, that's fair. I could modify the statement, you know, from just saying art in a general sense, you know, to the, the acquisition of a private piece of art <laughs> in a, in a, yep. in a personal contractual, uh, yep. kind of condition. Yeah. That's well, how we don't, I, would, I would frame it. Yeah. We don't have a lot of time left, but that does kind of segue into our next topic, which was, you know, company projects. So mm-hmm. how, if at all, do you, uh, negotiate differently with clients that are you know for commissions versus corporate prop or are they the same i think um there's a lot of similarities of course how you are as a client to them is going to reflect how much work you receive from them in the future so when you're starting to work with bigger clients for like book covers like publishers and book covers there's actually a lot of information out there for artists in artist communities to be able to access what should you be paying for this? What should you be charging? Um, because directly uh, there's like a lot of big publishers that expect to pay this amount of money for their for their cover, and that's usually like three to five thousand US dollars. If they are a part of like the big five, I think they call it. I think that's actually reduced down now to like two or even three um, because of acquisitions and stuff like that. I'm not sure. Um, but generally if they're from those like publishers, 
Like they're expecting to pay like three to five thousand dollars depending on your experience. Like so you know that you're charging this much. And the best way to do that is to get into art communities. Um and if you're at that point in your art skill where you're working for corporations and, and bigger clients like that, you probably want to make it a part of your like life that you're accessing those communities and speaking to other professionals as you would in any other industry for sure. Um obviously you're still talking to another person on the end of the line and so how you act and how friendly you are you want to be a great person to work with because that is how you secure more work um there are a lot of corporations out there who undercharge but have a good big following it's very hard to be like don't work for them because you're not getting paid enough um you know, like fantasy flight games, I think is one of them, and others like who just undercharge like massively. Like they're just like you're talking about like hundred and fifty dollars for like a full character commission port of thing. And I'd say like, yeah, if you want some wicked names on your thing, maybe do a couple of them. Sure, that makes sense. But like, I w- I've seen artists um, and go through and like work for them for a really long time, and how it affects their like mental kind of state um as an artist they go it's stable income and i know what to expect and i can just do this thing but gosh i hate it like that doesn't sound like a career that you want to pursue for your life like there's enough private commissions out there that you don't really need to do that i'll be honest with you there are enough like if you spent and this is the one thing that we haven't really touched on, but in any client you deal with, if the value is not there for you to want to do it, you are much better off spending that time on a personal piece to go into your folio or your skills because then you're up like upgrading um, your skills because a lot of commissions, people get under this like false assumption rarely do your commissions allow you space to improve as an artist that much especially as much as a private piece um so yeah there's that um also back to the like working with corporations things you probably want to read up on how to do like contracts um or how like contracts look don't ever ignore a contract read it from start to finish get some advice from friends um feel free to speak to a corporation about that contract if they have something in there that's not making any sense to you be clear ask questions that's going to make you look more professional it's not going to make you look um silly or dumb it's going to make you look like you give a crap about your job like that is that's one thing a lot of people do is they just ignore the fine line because they're like oh whatever like, no, question it. Like, oh, what does this mean? Like, tell me, explain to this what this means and what you expect. Give me a date. Give me exact figures. Like, you're a professional. You be a professional to me. I'll be a professional to you back. Have some sort of respect like that. Um, and But other than that, if you've set yourself up really well with good personal skills and you've practiced those with your private commissions and that sort of stuff, it's going to be the same skills that you pass over into bigger clients. It's going to be more of a focus on um, addressing that, though, and being very specific about that. 
so you can get the most value out of your work uh, because there will be an expectation that you can perform professionally. There won't be that lack of expectation. It will definitely be there and it will definitely have an impact on whether or not you do future work with them or whether or not you close the sale. And closing the sale is something I haven't really talked much about, but it's also very important to do is to secure that sale. Make the assumed um, statement. Once you feel like you're at the point where you know what price it is, you know what you need to do, go, all right, let's get this going. I'll get it done by you. Is this, is this all good? You get that yes? You get that final yes? You're good. Close sales. Close sales. Like that is really important. Otherwise, you're going to spend 25 emails not, <laughs> not doing work and wasting your time. Um, and corporates will want you to close the sale real quick. Uh, so be concise. So yeah, I think is that a matter of getting is like is that a matter of like signing a contract or is that a matter of sending an invoice or what what is quote unquote closing a sale? Just getting that yes, like I don't think signing the invoice and that sort of stuff is like you could close a sale before that. Close a sale is getting the agreed yes, just being just being like this is happening and the, and like you can be very clear on what's going on. There comes a point where like nice person almost shuts off you can still keep it there to continue but it's like a all right like you can see in my a lot of my emails back and forth with people it'll be like and then you'll be like all right this is where it is and this is how much you pay and this is the link that you pay into and this is you need to pay this exact amount and it'll just be like this paragraph of this this and this and then you'll usually either see the money in your account or yes it will be paid on this date and that's a closing of the sale Obviously, there's that, that little bit of ambiguity until that money actually rolls into your account, but that is what closing the sale means is is not fluffing around anymore and agreeing to something. Um, you know, getting paid for something is, is not really closing the sale. It's just getting paid for it. Closing the sale is like a skill. Hold on one sec. The queen needs to be let out. <laughs> the queen is uh, his uh, cat, Mika. For everybody listening, yeah. the, the, the cat is a worthy interruption. Worthiest. So, I do have a question about um, budgets of companies. I know when we talked yeah. about uh, uh, commission clients, you know, you try to uh, find out the budget la last, but with a um, company, do you try to find out first? Because are they more or less likely to have a flexible budget, or are they more or less gonna they're not likely to have a flexible budget at all they're likely to have they're likely to know exactly how much money they're allowed to spend um a lot of this for me comes in with the local work that i do um so i do a lot of work with councils and things like that around art and performance art in terms of uh, projection work and i always know that they know exactly how much money they've got and i want to find out they want to try and get it Depending on who your client is, they either want to spend that whole amount of budget or they want to keep it as much as possible. If you're working with like government bodies and local organizations, like try and push to find out how much money they got because they probably want to spend it all. Um, and that's great. Like charge them through the roof. If they've got it, try and find it out um, ASAP. But you also, you just, you need to show that value. Like, you, all, you need to express that value either at the same time you're asking for the budget or 
before you're asking for the budget. So just do never, never ever skip that step of value. And that step of value in a corporate client will be how you professionally act and what you have produced before. And that's all it will be. Um, so it's like how you're interacting and, and what you have previ- previously produced, which is probably something that they've already seen um, or are already ready for that. So you're probably not going to get that work unless you've produced the quality of work that they are expecting and looking for because they're not going to be like, let's look for a subpar artist to find something to fill this. They're not going to do that. Corporate people don't do that. Like that's just not how they work. Um, but yeah, you just that value for the budget is always super important. Um, but yeah, they might come from different places. Uh, but the one thing that remains the same is how you act and how you uh, push your truth and push your own value. I think if that answers the question. Good any more? Yeah, Joby had a question, but I'm I, not exactly sure what it was. <laughs> well, it was uh, uh, something that you were kind of touching on a, in the first part of Moose's question about you know corporate clients. But is there, if there, if you could expand a little bit more on, is there a you know, and when you're dealing with corporations, is there a corporate equivalent you know of the the conversation that you were talking about with like pet portraits? You know, like oh, you know, tell me more about your what, what kind of pet this was obviously that's not a conversation that you can have with an art director or you know whatever corporate contact you have so what's the uh is there still is there still room for finessing that relationship with you know a, with a more corporate kind of client i think that is where your history of work comes into play mm-hmm. and how you uh act and how concise you are so if you're immature and you don't speak about what's going on. Like they don't have a lot of time in their day, so value that. Um, if you're unaware they don't have a lot of time in their day and you're messing around and not like getting back to them, that's going to annoy the crap out of them. Um, so understanding their position is probably that, I would say. Mm. Your previous work and then understanding what they need to achieve and working with them to achieve that goal. Because they usually are not the person you're making the art for. They're, they're hiring you to make an art. So you want to be on their side. And so being on their side in this process of producing it, being on time, like uh, giving your sketches in on the right time, doing thumbnails, assuming like, go, do you need thumbnails for this um, or a sketch? And by what date do you need that completed by? And then what date do you need this by? Have your things set up and ready to go um, for them is probably the best way you can do it. And that's probably the biggest difference is so, um, I don't know, a, a corporate client's not likely going to be asking you how much you're going to charge for something that much. They're going to assume you know already or they're going to give you a flat price. What you were and talking you about, it sounds like. from that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. I was going to say it sounds like what you were saying is is identifying how you can make their job easier is that's sort of like the yep the linchpin for corporate client yep okay yep absolutely and that job specific like the person you're dealing with specifically mm. like as I said there's still another person on the end of that email chain or that phone call or however you deal with it appeal to them. 
Don't appeal to them personally, appeal to their job, making it easier and making it smooth and yeah, be a trusting person who's going to work with them to achieve that task. So and instead of asking them uh, to talk about their cat, uh, <laughs> the personality of their, their pet, you ask, you um, say concise statements, you try to keep the email short and to the point. Yeah, or just like directly answering what they're talking about and maybe making assumed questions for questions they might have in the future that you might expect from them. So you you pin start the you jump start the converse, conversation about deadlines and when like sketches need to be handed in and like if you're firmo like foremost the one starting that conversation and it's of value to them um then they that's an email they don't have to send you know you've cut out an email that they've had to send and they just need to answer you and that's really helpful for them so if you can be like really quick on that and that's usually probably only after you've worked with them once or twice you can make some assumptions but um yeah trying to shorten the amount of time that they need to explain things to you and coming across as someone who already understands or giving them two really quick options of is it this or this and even if it's neither of those they go it's this that's like that is going okay you've made an assumption that it's either this or this that's fine it's neither of those it's this it's still cutting out an email in the middle um so you're making their life much easier and but with a with a commissions you suggested to uh start with um getting three yeses but with a uh you know to build the rapport with a corporate client it seems like if you're asking them obvious questions that you already know the answer is going to be yes that you're wasting their time so should you not try to do that yeah i guess uh you just want to move the conversation along is where i think it's probably the difference is you're not wasting their time you want to just be like okay we're we're <laughs> sorry this is the cat maker we're we're not at that point in the conversation. You don't need to explain all of this to me. Um, I get it. <laughs> this isn't the first time cats have taken over life. the podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, yeah, there is that difference between them just having to say yes. Obviously, just start with a, like, end with a follow-up question. So you've made an assumption. They'll correct you if you're wrong and then continue the conversation. Um, and lead on to continue the conversation on to the next part, like invoices. Like, all right, this is what you need by this this day. You don't need to get too many yeses out of them as much as you would with a personal client, I don't think. Um, they don't really care about that. They know you can achieve the job. <laughs> they know that you can do what you're, what you're doing. You just want to affirm that for them, really. So... It's not as emotionally invested <laughs> into uh, the piece of art as a personal person is because it's not their money, it's their company's money, um, and it's not their pet. <laughs> so don't worry about the rates. Of <laughs> I just have to point out just for anybody that's listening, Sam isn't <laughs> maniacally laughing for no reason. <laughs> the cat is... <laughs> totally taking over his microphone stand and yeah i'm having it, to hold on to it <laughs> it's quite What's up maker quite charming she's so uh mm -hmm. before we wrap up uh the last question i have on the list that we i think we should get uh get to uh 
more than others. I know we've we've talked about this topic before, where uh, um, a lot of people have dream clients like Magic the Gathering or Riot or whatever the case may be, and they aren't there yet, but they still need work from from either commissions or corporate court clients. But you had mentioned uh, other alternative ways of getting uh, cl uh, corporate client work. And I haven't heard a lot of people talk about them before. So if you have any uh, thoughts on, if you want to talk. Yeah, about absolutely. Um, well, like, I think the biggest one is like local, like work. There are so many businesses around you that will give you that experience and will pay you really well. Um, and you have access to, and like, you are now not a drop in an ocean. You're like this shining gem like in your area, like local businesses love working with local businesses. Like that is like, because it builds their local economy and it builds their local trust. Um, so yeah, access the businesses around you. The, the government bodies as well pay really, really well. Uh, collaborate with different types of artists. See if you can get involved with, um, like you have, you have skills that you can educate people on. You have skills you that you can provide for people. Um, you can paint something on someone's restaurant wall. Uh, you can go outside of your comfort zone with the art a little bit and do some things that are... Sorry, <laughs> Mika, she needs attention. Um, you can do things that you might not have ever done before. Like I do, as I mentioned, projection art. And so I sit on a street and draw portraits that I would never share with any of you online <laughs> because they are awful. But they're of children that I've done in 15 minutes or 10 minutes. And so like a 10-minute portrait where you're sitting in front of kids who are trying to move around and it's getting projected onto a massive building um, pays far better than every other art commission I've ever done, ever. And a lot of that is not art skills. A lot of that is personal skills and getting those jobs. Um, and they're going to teach me how to deal with corporations and they're going to teach me how to do contracts. They're going to teach me how to deal with people uh, even more. Uh, and they're going to break outside of your comfort zone. They're also going to provide an income that isn't directly uh, just doing what you normally do as an artist. Like artists are really valuable in your community. And like look at other artists in your community and reach out to them. As I guarantee you there'll be a lot of art other artists in your community um, talking to each other and working together. And uh, you can go join them in that and they usually earn much more money than a lot of us do because gosh like places like libraries like to buy paintings from local artists and they'll charge thousands and you'll be like sweet i'll just do a portrait study of something <laughs> on some oils for fun and sit it in somewhere and they'll be like i love that piece of art and then they'll buy it um because they got budgets to fill and people usually want to fill those budgets. They want to spend every dime because if they don't spend every dime, then the next year that budget goes down instead in of going up. In a scenario like that, which comes first, like the painting of the portrait study or whatever, or the 
request by a uh, a corporate client or 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 a public client to get it from you if you're going to get something to hang in a hospital or a library you know do you um are you are you are you boys. showing that work around or are you trying to get hired you need by to have to get stuff for that you need to have a name for yourself in your local area mm -hmm. and that's probably going to happen after a while um so it's good to start now with that sort of stuff um i've literally had I, I was in a in a youth center and I had I had access to a studio at the back and literally someone from the local library uh, was doing a talk and they were also in the back of the head looking for art. They didn't come into the studio and I had a a portrait study that I did in oils when I was learning oils <laughs> in the studio sitting up there and that got sold for like twelve hundred dollars. And I, it was just sitting there and they were just like, great, I could buy it. Yeah. And I got a call from my person there and he's like, do you want to sell this piece? I'm like, go for it. Whatever. I don't care. Like I could sell it for 50 bucks and I wouldn't care because it was literally sitting there and I was going to paint over it. So they're going to happen vice versa, depending on how well known you are and who you know. A lot of that is who you know. So get involved with them. Um, and there's a lot of people in the middle there that want to access you. So there's a lot of people who have access to the money and want to get local artists. There's a lot of businesses who want to not order something online and want a local artist to come in and, and do it. Like, so go to a coffee shop, sit down, do some drawing and be like, I'm a local artist. I do this. Do you guys want to do any? I got some artwork. Do you want some artwork to like look on their walls, see what they have on their walls? Like, start that conversation. It sounds super scary, um, but, like, get into it. Like, it's not going to be that scary as well. Like, and you might not be able to talk to people in person that well, but, like, your skills are going to show a lot and they're going to want to work with you, like, a lot of the time. And just, like, figure out what that price point is at because usually it's just so high and it's really great to do. It's really, really great. And you get to do things that you never expect you do as well. I think that's a lot of artists like don't ever access is like they're local. Um, if your local is like what mine is like, it's full of opportunities. And you just, I don't know, you just get to do cool stuff. And it breaks up the monotony as well. Um, so like, yeah, councils are a really great place to start literally the businesses on the roads that you live on and the, the suburbs you live in like you've got to go in there and you've got to speak to people and be friendly and that's Dar how you get access to it daria and chat mentioned that uh their local art societies often have a job list that you can get on yep yep absolutely um you don't want to just jump onto that this is the thing about local you want to be known as a person um, and known as that person you want your face who you are you want your personality out there you probably want to include it as a part of your website as well or an affiliated website too to those local governments a lot of those local governments you can go on and be like hey i'm an artist send me any opportunities coming up go to workshops that are free get involved with people speak to people there it takes a little bit of effort to, to kind of get around that but the job listings will help 
But if they know who you are or someone else knows who you are, like that's just going to speak worlds in that kind of area. If you get a recommendation from someone in your local, you've almost got the job. Like that is the best part about it. It is so valuable. A big part of working with somebody is knowing that they're not going to be a jerk, right? Yep. It's just that that low bar to clear. It it sounds very minimal, but nobody wants to work with a jerk and they don't know you're a jerk or not until they have at least some interaction with you or a relay of interaction with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, they think you do magic, right? They think you do magic. You do magic to them. So go with your magic folio and be like, hey, I'm Samuel. Nice to meet you. I live around the corner. I'm a local artist. This is some of my work. I'd love to work with you guys. Do you have anything coming up? Um, if not, cool. I love your coffee that you sell. I love the T-shirts that you sell and the brand that you put out here. I kind of want to be a part of it. Like, that's it. Like, you'll be surprised what, they, what the response is. It might be, no, not right now. Um, but, like, they'll speak to another business or something will come up or, like, your name will get spread. Like, you have to put yourself out there for that stuff a lot. Um, and the, the moment you start, it's like going around and handing in your resume at a, as a store, <laughs> but if you do it with a big smile on your face, you're doing it with something that you are a magician at. You're not like everyone else. Like you are standing out to them because whilst there are a lot of artists on the internet, you put those pins on a map locally, it starts to spread out. Yeah. It starts to really like you start to become one of a few. And if you can talk to those other few as well, you'll usually help each other. Is there a way that people can do this interaction during COVID season when everyone else is in America, especially where, or someplace in Europe where the outbreak is still going on? I think um, you need to be a bit more creative how you're doing it. Like at the moment, like this is something I'm saying that has work has dropped phenomenally over the last 12 months. Like literally it was about 60% of my income. It's now less than 10. So what I'm saying is obviously when we get back into the, uh, the norm, but that norm may not like happen again. So you need to be creative and forward thinking for these ideas. And you might need to start <clears throat> building positions for yourself um, in these things. Like if you have an idea of how to access art in your public space by being uh publicly distanced and promoting that like promoting public distance i literally was driving home yesterday there's art all along melbourne the town i'm in and it's about uh us going back into being melbourne again and it's it's all art it's all visual art uh people want to see that people can sit and if you're in a city like I can sit and see things from like outside my window being projected. Projection art is something that is coming up in a lot of spaces and there's not a lot of artists out there doing it. So if you have anyone who has access to a projector, you'll you'll likely find that companies want to project things onto buildings because they don't have to pay for a permit. (laughs) Two, you can whip it down in a few seconds and it's like a cool hologram. So, uh, like that's a really big field that I'm a part of and it pays a lot of money and you can go corporate as hell with that sort of stuff and sell yourself out a little bit if you want to go for it. Um, 
there's there's you're gonna just have to be creative and that's one of the most exciting parts about it is you get to decide how to put art out there and if your idea is good and you are convincing enough to the businesses that you're approaching you'll be able to experiment a lot and do really cool things so you might not get heaps of it right now but there's like businesses still want to survive and they're looking for new ways on how to get their word out there. So if you have an idea, don't be afraid to run it by someone for sure. I've, stu- I've stood in a, in a lot of lines, you know, that required me to stand six feet away from each other since all this started. And it's making me wonder how many local businesses might be interested in a floor mural that's based on six feet of, of distance between, between people. Yeah. Take and that's it. only going to ever happen, yeah, if you go to that business and go, hey, like, I lined up for your thing. I'm a local artist. I noticed, like, we have to stand here. Wouldn't it be wicked if we did a floor mural? Can mm-hmm. we work together on that? That's the conversation. They know it's going to cost money. <laughs> like, they should know it's going to cost money. Like, they're a business. Uh, they're not expecting things for free. <clears throat> Starbucks. <clears throat> Starbucks. <clears throat> a lot of those franchises have money to spend on their marketing. <laughs> And are yeah. looking at different ways to be creative with it. You're exactly right. That is an opportunity to earn thousands of dollars. Like, <laughs> literally. The best part, I have to say, the best part I get when I do projection work and I sit there in front of like young kids and draw their faces, a lot of them have been told that being an artist is like a bad way to make money by their parents. And I get to sit there whilst their parents stand behind them and be like, guess how much money I'm making right now? Thousands of dollars. And their parents are like, don't put that into my child's head. And I'm like, you put them in front of me. This is my space. I'll do it. And that is honestly the best part about it because you get to go, yes, this is a viable career. And there are interesting ways that you can do it. And look how much fun I'm having doing it. Exactly. Exactly. And it's really refreshing as an artist to do a bunch of different stuff like that, I think. Well, for me personally, it is. So even though my goal may be, yeah, to do some magic art in the future, my goal now is to just continue doing art in really fun different ways, even if it includes doing magic art or D&D art or book covers or whatever. I won't ever steer away from doing this other public stuff because it's too much fun and it pays too well. Like, why would I bother? You can do it all. Why not? Very cool, man. I think we might be closing in on it can we ask you our our final final question yes what's one thing in the world right now that you're excited about sam can it be like anything does it have to be art related Mm -mm. anything at all man (sighs) my sister is about to have um a baby and was that it did we just hear it Yeah, I think so. <laughs> God, that would be frightening. <laughs> um, I'm about to become an uncle for the first time, and I am so, so excited. I'm so, so excited because, like, I'm going to spoil the crap out of this child <laughs> and make it play tons of video games and do art too. Like, I cannot wait. That is the most thing I'm excited about right It's all now. the joys of having a kid without having to have a kid. I've prepared her. I was like, are you ready for chaos? And she's like, outside of the house. I'm like, you can't tell me what to do. (laughs) I'm excited. That's what I'm most excited about. I cannot stop thinking about it every day. And it's like 
less than two weeks we're talking about. Dang. So. Wow. Well, can send our congratulations along. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, and Sam. We actually have another surprise. I think uh, Sam already knows this, but uh, the next um, talk, or the next uh, podcast we have is my with a good nemesis. friend of his. His oh, nemesis, not his good friend. Sorry, my... not his good friend. His nemesis. Yes, that's right. They don't have epic rap battles or anything. Can um, I announce him? <laughs> yeah, you can do that. Cool. Next time on what is Art Condition podcast, you will be seeing Paul Canavan, the Magic the Gathering artist, D and D artist, Axis uh, art director. Uh, what else has he done? He's done a lot of stuff. And he's an absolutely fantastic person. He's one of the reasons why I still do art today and have gotten better to this day. Guarantee you listen to this podcast coming up with Paul Canavan because he has a lot of fantastic stuff to say and he has a lot of experience and he's a wonderful person. Yeah, that will be this Sunday. So uh, Art Condition picks up... Right up where it left off, and it's regularly scheduled time this Sunday at 2 p.m. Yeah. Pacific Sorry, not Standard sorry Time. Um, man, uh, Sam, thank you so much for being with us. Um, I feel like we could talk for another two hours. There was a lot of um, unacknowledged back and forth between you and Daria, who was in the chat, and I think that it would be really fun if you were into it. Daria is a great person. I think it would be great to have you guys on and uh, and have both of you guys Absolutely. chatting together. Uh, we're going to try and smooth uh, Daria into being on by herself at least once before that. So we'll we'll keep that in mind. And until then, thank you so much for having me. By the it's, way, it's been both a blast, you. man. It's been such such a great time. I'm going to wave goodbye and I'm going to hit end on.